Welcome back to the My Love of Golf podcast, sir. How are you, mate? I'm very good, thank you, Roscoe. You know, just getting the little triplets in bed, separating any fights and disagreements, and now we can talk some golf. <laughs> they sound like they give you a lot of joy, the triplets, but as you would expect with uh, three, a bit of a bit of extra work there, Rocket, man, and... Uh, are they off soundly in bed? Are they tucked in? Have they had their stories? Uh, yes, so plenty of Lego stories, uh, dreams. Um, disagreements have been nullified with threats of not eating um, any delicious treats or sweets over the coming days. Delivered by Nana Rocket, is that correct? Uh, potentially, yes. Right. Potentially. Okay, I'm having a visit from Nana Rocket. I hope there's some Nana Rocket special uh, special blend shortbreads in there. <laughs> yeah, new order has gone out. Oh, very good, very good. Well, mate, um, what should have been one of the biggest weeks of golf in the year, and we were just having a little bit of a pre-chat, probably left us both a little bit flat. And... I'm talking about the BMW Championship. I'm talking about you know, the last round of the regular tour season, you know, the, the, the penultimate round of the big dance, the lead up to the FedEx where someone's going to win the exorbitant amount of, what is it, $15 million US. And both of us were just chatting that we didn't really dig it. We didn't, we, we didn't get the vibe that they were putting out. So... Uh, what, did, what were your thoughts on the BMW if we just jump straight into the deep end and get really wet? Because we've got the exciting stuff to come, which you are all over. But let's talk BMW Championship first, mate. What? Uh, why did it leave you a little wet? Well, one, because it was boring. It was so boring. I watched all of two shots. I watched Justin Thomas tee shot. Um, I think it was on the 14th hole and it just flew in the air and landed. And then I watched someone just gouge one out of some rough and it just almost plugged on the green. I was seriously considering going on to one of the streaming apps to just watch an episode of Love Island and I don't like reality TV shows. That's how much the BMW Championship was boring and frustrating because it was just a dartboard. If I wanted to watch darts and uh, and Phil, the, 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 the legend it is from um, the UK, I, I could have flicked onto another channel, Foxtel, and listened to the guy singing out 180 rather than watch trying to watch golf and watch the garbage, which was the BMW Championship, played at Medina. 
It's, D- it's a classic old course, but well, the, it was turned into just a slaughter fest. The, the darts were on in Melbourne uh, last weekend. And uh, and the voice the voice of the darts is a is a massive golfer. I forget his name, and it will come to me. The one with the deep gravelly voice, one hundred and eighty. And I've actually met him. I've actually met him. He's a, he's a he's a massive golfer. He loves Australia and he loves golf. But anyway, we digress. So Medina, you know, when you talk about the the penultimate round of the big dance at Medina, you know, the home of the two thousand and twelve Ryder Cup, you know, where Europe had that. 14 and a half to 13 and a half victory. You, you go into that weekend expecting that you're going to see some quality golf, but did they set it up damp? Did they pump a heap of juice on there to try and make it a dartboard? Or do you have any mail on that? Because I haven't, there's been very little. So, it was wet the week before. Yeah. So there'd been some inclement weather, we'll call it, as the Americans like to call it, inclement weather the week before. And then the PGA Tour just continued to just set it up like the PGA Tour do, just so it suits all the pros and everyone just lives under par. And the course got shredded. Mm. Like the course record broken three times in the weekend. Hideki Matsuyama broke it twice. Congratulations, Hideki, and uh, love your work. Great young golfer, but you wouldn't you wouldn't be putting that in your little highlights reel if you were Hideki Matsuyama, would you? You wouldn't be. Oh no. Yeah. So who won? Justin Thomas. Justin Thomas was you at the winner. We'd sort yeah, of. Yeah, JT. JT, he's coming back. He's you know I know I sort of I did sort of maybe discount him a little bit last week because you know he's obviously coming off the injury and stuff like that, but you know he's. You know, I guess he's finding that that groove again that he that he um, he had before he had the wrist injury. So, you know, he could be you know he could be well. He's already got a two shot lead as he walks into next week anyway. So he's already got a lead. So maybe he's just an outright favourite man. Mm. So just a reminder: he starts at minus ten. He walks onto the first tee at East Lake this weekend. <laughs> With this, how, how are they going to put that in the scorecard, Mr. Thomas? You're starting it. You know, can I? Where, where, where do you take the shots? <laughs> so it's like he just starts at minus ten, and that's on the scoreboard, and, he, and out he goes. It's weird. It's still weird. I can't get my head around it. I've had all these different theories and proposals put towards me why it's a good thing, but I, I, I still can't get my head around it. But um, so he's going to start at minus ten. Who starts in the uh, minus eight posse? Uh, we have. Uh Mr. Cantlay, also another slow golfer. Um, he's at eight. My man Brooksy's at seven. Patrick Reed at six. Rory's at five. Then we have a large group at four under. So we've got um, Abe, um, Webb, Simpson, three drops, Cooch, uh, the driver, Doper. Um, John on Kamram, and then uh, heap more at three. That's a new one. Two. John on Kamram. I just made that one up. No, that's you know, good. It actually, right. rhymes too. Yeah, yeah. Good, it? that's good. That's good. <laughs> and the driver, the, the driver, doper, driver doper. Zander, yeah, Zander. Zander, Zander Showflay, If you haven't already picked that up, 
But uh, we talked up this uh, that young man a couple of weeks ago and we said we like him. We like him because he's been to Australia on one and he's coming back to Australia. And here he is sitting in uh, in tenth posse in the in the FedEx race. Young Abe, Abraham Answer from uh, Mexico. What a what a story that is. What a player. What a player. Well, he's had a good couple of weeks to yeah. get, to get himself inside the top inside the top thirty, and he solidified his spot in the Presidents Cup team. So, um, not only coming back out to probably defend the Australian Open, but you know. Uh, you know, turning up at uh, Royal Melbourne for the President's Cup. So um, it's a good thing. It's a really good thing. So then uh, we've got a couple of Aussies in the top 30 who are going to play this weekend at Eastlake, Mark Leishman and Adam Scott. Now, Adam had a few controversial uh, words to say that raised the uh, eyebrows of a number of people. So, Rocket, you can pick it up. What was Adam, what was beefing Adam up? Well, I think not only the conditions of the course and, you know, the, um, you know, I think it might be that frustration thing when he just looks at it and looks at all these other players around him and they can just swing as hard and as fast as they want with just absolute gay abandon. And it doesn't matter where the ball goes because it doesn't matter where you hit it on the club face of the driver it's not really going to spray. And it's not like the old days of whether it be the persimmon and the ballada or even the early days of um, metal woods in the late 90s and early 2000s before the solid core ball and these, um, you know, elephant-sized heads on, on drivers that are so forgiving. And his major beef was the fact that the equipment with a driver now allows a player to just swing risk-free at the golf ball and not fear missing a fairway or missing it by much. And, you know, so there's no control, there's no strategy. And if you've built your career out of being the longest and straightest driver, so I would, I would define Greg Norman as the first of those post-Jack, Adam Scott was the next of those. So essentially his advantage has been eroded because of equipment. So all these other plonkers who are not great drivers, they can just swing as hard as they want. And the other parts of their game, they can be okay at. And, the you know, they've rendered the advantage of being able to be a great driver redundant. You know, so even, I still even think, you know, someone like Rory was a great driver even when he was younger. And maybe that's part of the reason all the challenge that he has now in the last five years is that the equipment has got to this point where it's just, it's, it's new his advantages. So these players that have all these other advantages have built these other advantages over time because even Rory, when he was younger, he was probably one of the longest, straightest drivers then as well. Not as straight as Adam, but he was long and he had this advantage. And maybe he doesn't have that advantage anymore. Um, so Adam was lamenting that in terms of how the governing bodies have allowed equipment to strip away skill in a really important part of the game where 
Hitting a driver straight used to be the hardest thing to do in golf. It's not anymore. Well, I can resonate with that because it's definitely not for me. But um, but I have issues with inside inside the uh, the fifty meter zone. And you know, is Adam really just lamenting the fact that his advantage has been eroded and you know his poor putting now fully catches up with him? Is that is that really? Oh, look, we we we. I think his putting has been one of those things that's uh, it's been a a bugbear for him forever. But his advantage has always been tee to green, hmm. um, and he, and you know statistically it's, that shows, and especially in the majors. But I think um, his opportunity to win more, and especially in majors, to have an advantage of being able to hit the driver on some of those courses and control it, I think. I would be if I was him. I would lament that and think, Do you know what, I, I've built I've built my game around being one of the best ball strikers on the planet, being the longest straightest driver, and my advantage being able to hit a driver where other people can't, mm. where they would normally have to hit a three wood or a long iron for position because they're not a straight driver, meaning they have a longer shot because they're not a straight driver, meaning my advantage is I'm able to hit a shorter shot, shorter iron and get it closer to offset the fact that I'm not a great putter, but I know that I'm taking pressure off my game and I just need to be on my game tee to green and as a ball striker and I'll be thereabouts. So are you a fan of bifurcation? Um, No, because I still think it's the equipment thing. It's, a, it's an equipment thing. So you wouldn't, you would change the ball, the ball rules for pro, and you would change the equipment rules for pro, or? Oh, look, I think the ball they probably have let it get a little bit out of hand. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the solid core and the way the cover is now, um, it just doesn't spin as much as it used to, uh, and so. Keeping that under control, I think they could probably dial it back a little bit, not a massive amount. Although it is strange watching amateurs, and we'll get onto obviously the US amateur, but seeing them hitting seven irons from like 200 yards, so 180 metres, although it was quite humid and the course is playing hot. So when you have those conditions, the ball is going to be quite juiced up. Um, so I kind of get it. Um, so I'm not too stressed about it. But with the driver, um, having the advantage of being the longest and straightest, um, and you think about the distance they hit it now, it's the one club in the bag that, you know, the they could actually legitimately dial that thing back. Mm. Imagine if they went back to that original tailor-made shape metal driver from, you know, 1987. Seven degree loft, beautiful. Imagine hitting that. Well, I, I, we, we used to. You know, we, we used to, and it, it didn't bother us. We used to. Persimmon headed well, drivers, small headed metal yeah. woods, and it, it, it didn't bother us. No, but the thing is, though, you learn to be really good at it because you, you know, I remember for me, um, 
I still I even still think about it now, and I regret even just getting rid of the driver because I, I think I just found my unicorn and I let it go. So my tailor-made burner plus, 10, deg- 10 and a half degree with the old um, um, Aldilla black and silver shaft. It was a stiff flex, low torque, and back then I was using... What balls were using? I was using Maxfly 90s, Pilata. So I was going for the ones that had um, lower spin because I had issues with spin back then. Um, and I used to hit, I actually hit that thing a mile. And there's probably parts of my swing back then that were probably more conducive to how the how you hit the ball now. And there's all this other science goes with how they maximise distance. But back then. I even thought one of my advantages was, as a younger, young cat, I was probably one of the longest, straighter hitters of golf ball. So, I, you know, I lived and breathed Greg Norman and and his Shark Attack books. I have the hard copy and the soft copy copy version, and just so I grew grew up a shark disciple and just try learning how to just hit a driver long and straight and just go all out. So my advantage is when I was on, like I would just hit driver on every hole. But I knew that I would hit it well. Where others would be like, oh, I might hit three wood on this one. Or especially match play, I'd chase them. You know, I remember some matches where uh, sometimes I think I, you know, even though I wasn't very big, I was very Justin Thomas-like back then. And sometimes I felt like I maybe overpowered some of my opponents because one, there's this little kid who's bombing at a mile and has no fear and pulling out the driver on the holes that are probably even the tightest. Um, so, yeah, even now I would do that, but there's others where I reckon if I gave some of the younger generation some of the clubs I had back then, I reckon I would, I would toast them because... I would have the advantage. Mm. I'm I'm definitely on the rollback alliance, uh, the side of the you know let's call the rollback alliance the you know roll back the ball. And, uh, and I, I, th- I still reckon if they change the heads, if you brought the heads back to under three hundred or three fifty, because I remember the uh, what was it the Tylus nine seventy five D, I think it was. That's about 300 cc. I remember, you know, picking that up for the first time, and I thought that looked like just I was swinging a brick. But, but you even... think I've got a 460 cc driver head now? That's just insane. But the the Taylor made um, original one, so they bought a yeah. driver out. Now it's you know effectively a mini driver, so it's three. Oh, geez, jeepers! I should know. I think it's just under Fit 400. It in your hand. Yeah, you can fit it in your hand. It's not small, but it's it's not huge. But I played with uh, um, someone on Friday who had one of those and striped the living daylights out of it. It was maybe 10, 15 behind me. It wasn't really a 10, 10 metres. Is that a big enough disadvantage by having a small-headed driver with you know 10 degrees of loft? Yep. Like, the and we're, we're, though, the, we're the if same if distance. You're it in, if you're hitting it in the middle all the time, that's yeah. not a problem. But it's the misses. Right, this is the thing. It's the misses. Mm. Right? Yep. 
Looked and you can't swing all out all the time unless you're really grooved in your swing. So I knew that even when I was, you know, you know, there were times when I just couldn't go all out. You would have that 85% swing, right? And you would have something, you know, left in the tank. You know, you, I think of even some of the equipment now, it does Tiger's head in because the way for him to be accurate with it, he has to swing differently to what is best for him as a ball striker. Yeah, well, geez, you don't have to, you know, go f- too far back in the uh, YouTube archive to see him, you know, smashing that nine seven five driver or nine oh five driver. Um, better YouTube than better, two thousand and two New exactly. Zealand Open. That's some of the purest golf you'll ever see. Better than he's ever in driven. Life. Exactly. Oh my god. Interesting. Um, I actually have on my bedside table inside um, my love of golf central here, Rocket. Three Max Fly Max Fly Bellata golf balls. On, right now on my bedside table, I have some, and I'll tell you I'll tell you a little story about those uh, Max Fly Bellatas. I'm loath to use them because my dad found them and gave them to me. Um, they were sitting actually sitting in my bedroom at my parental home in the Hunter Valley, and they stamped on the side with B Dunk. <gasps> no. Yeah. Do you remember? The, who, do you remember the who? one and the only Billy Dunk? The one and the only Billy Dunk. Oh, my goodness. Now, we're sort of getting off, off track a little bit here, but my Billy Dunk story, um, my dad was a is was um, a friend of Billy Dunk's through the association, his, the joint association in the wine industry. My dad, the seller of wine, Billy Dunk, the drinker of the wine. So uh, my dad was popular with uh, a number of people and he was friends with Billy Dunk and uh, Jack Newton. Uh, stay in contact with Jack and Jackie Newton, so I do. But Billy Dunk gave me some balls and they sat in my room for a long, long, long time and he found them and recently delivered them and returned them. So they're on my bedside table. But the story that he tells about Billy Dunk when he played golf with him a few times, and I played golf with Billy once, um, was that Billy would take an inordinate amount of time looking for his golf ball. Like if it was in the rough, he... And you were playing a casual, just a scratch match, you know, just a knockdown match, you know, just playing, like I had a playing lesson with him once, um, which was the best lesson I've ever had in golf. But uh, do you know why he would take an inordinate amount of time to look for his golf ball? Being that they all had B-Dunk on the side of them. He didn't want anyone to find a golf ball with his name on the side of it. <laughs> because that was a, that would have been an indication that he's lost a golf ball and... For those of you that are listening uh, of the younger generation, thank you. But Billy Dunk, Google him. He wasn't the Australian golfer that travelled so widely overseas. He did very well in Japan and won very well up there. But he was one of the most exceptional golf pros of his era. And we're talking late 60s, 70s, even into the 80s. Um, yeah. of that time and at one time I think he and may still have I don't know because um, we didn't prepare this the most course records of any golfer yes. in Australia he, he was that exceptional not a big man um, from Gosford New South Wales and just one exceptional golfer but he just didn't like to travel and didn't travel uh, so far into Europe probably could have would have should have but what an exceptional man um, how did we get on to talking about Billy Dunk uh, Max Fly Golf Max Fly Golf Balls, there you go. So 
we've talked about this before, you know, like in Formula One, they've got control tyres. You know, the, the, the teams are all running on, you know, rubber, the same rubber, and they've got rules and regulations over what they can yep. use over the weekend, how many, yep. how many they can use, how many sets of wets, intermediates and dries, and they have to develop a strategy around that, and that can either make or break their, their results. But the days of different brands and different compounds and different rubbers are gone, and it's controlled. Uh, surely if there was a sport that has, you know, some level of ability to achieve something for the benefit of the game, for the benefit of the viewer, for the, you know, bringing the sport more about the skill of the player, it's golf. And they can do that. They can do that. But anyway, I make a living out of golf clubs. So, um, you know, the, the more changes and the more differentiation, you know, keeps me in a job. Well, the thing is that some people go, you know, oh, you, you know, there's arguments around um, you're trying to protect old golf courses and architecture and stuff like that. And it's it's not about that. It's about we're trying to protect the game. Right? It's the game. Because, right? you know, we're going to get onto this other tournament. But this is, a, this is, this is what, why it's important to be talked about because on – at the same time as the BMW Championship, and to your point we were talking about before, we've got the premier event, like US Tour, it's all coming down for the, you know, it's the playoff series, for the FedEx Cup, and I watched two shots, and I spent my weekend and week watching the US Amateur instead because it was played at a course that was dry, was running fast, didn't have thick rough, and it was all about golf shots. People that would have to, they would have to hit great golf shots to be rewarded, and mediocre golf shots were being punished. So even if you put the driver aside, it's about the spectacle of the game. We do want to, we don't want to, we, we don't want to see everyone shooting 80, but we want to see the best players show off their skills. And we don't want the game to be rendered to a pitch and putt because they can just blast driver. Because me, the average punter, I can't, I can't, it doesn't resonate with me. And, and unless you swing over 115 miles per hour, the clubs that they, the, the, the big guys play with, it's not the same stuff to get off the shelf. So it's the game is foreign to us on the street. It's it's so far removed from from what it was ten to fifteen years ago. Mm. So it's about the game and it's the interest in the game and showing that people can have all different skills and capabilities and win rather than the person who hits the longest is the person that wins the most money. That's what the game's being rendered as at the moment. So the people that have the ability to really golf their ball, they're being made redundant. And that it can only hurt the game because it has no interest for the punter and the casual golf fan. Golf nerds like me will continue to watch it, but at some point it will the game will become boring. Well, it won't be boring if they play more golf on traditional links courses 
like they do in Europe. Stop watering everything. Stop watering everything. Make it hard. Yeah. Make it make it such a challenge. Make it so they actually have to hit golf shots and really good golf shots get rewarded that you can't just gouge it out of rough and have it just plug. You know? You know, we shouldn't have to hope that Bryson does something stupid to make the week interesting, which he did again, but we shouldn't have to hope for that. It should be the cherry on top, not the cake. Mm. So what did he do? You, you opened it up? What did he do? <laughs> well, you know how we said, Bryson, please stop. You should just stop talking and mm. stop social media. We were very hard on him well, last Bryce, We were hard on him last well, week. Oh, well, guess what? You'll probably think we're easy because he gets onto Snapchat <laughs> and he records a video. It's always dangerous. Talking about how he's out here in the having fun with the in the pro-ams, et cetera, et cetera, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, he plays time under par. Time to par. What is time to par? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Like, And this kid apparently has a master's in physics. Time to par. I don't even know what that is. And then he talks about all the haters. All the haters out there, and that you know he doesn't care about all the haters because um, he loves everyone every way. And then he anyway, and then he signs off. <laughs> like seriously, what is what? <laughs> content creation? He's done it again. Oh, dear. He's done it again. Oh, bro, bro. Oh, just bear with me here, Roscoe. I'm in a bit of trouble because I didn't give a key to my wife. She went out with one of her friends, oh, and uh, Mrs. Rocket is outside, a little bit upset right now. Oh, she's taking my thing. No. I better run upstairs before she kills me. Hang on. I'm just doing the podcast, babe. Did you bring your grandma? Not yet. <laughs> oh, that'll be, that'll, that'll be some fun for the listeners. <laughs> you didn't bring your grandma, Rocket. No, it's her birthday, oh, and my and and Ma Rocket's gonna gonna hear this. So Grandma Rocket, uh, I didn't ring her for a birthday because I forgot. So I am in deep poo. Oh, dear. Let's just let's just keep that one between you and me and the listeners. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, you know, on a sad note for me, Rocket, not to bring the tone down because we'll get back up to the high. But call your grandma, call your mum. I lost my. Uh, 98-year-old grandma yesterday in Scotland, in Edinburgh, and I was hoping she'd hang on till uh, we got to see her in a couple of weeks' time. But uh, my dad was there, and uh, Rita Flanagan, God bless you, and uh, she had 98 years on this earth, mate, and she did, she did very well, and she was a funny lady. And uh, so ring your grandma and love her while you've got her, mate. Anyway, is everything all right? Have you sorted everything out with Mrs. Rocket there? Is she yeah, back, yeah, is she's good. in the house? It's all good. All good. We've talked about Bryson and the content. I reckon we can leave all the PGA Tour stuff now. Yeah, well, they're on to um, Eastlake this weekend. The top 30 are locked, obviously. We've got two Aussies in there. We've got Adam and Leash. The other big guns that you'd expect to see are all up there. I am looking for something big from Rory. He's It's still there for his to take. Could be. Oh, this is perfect for him. Perfect he's, for him. He's already five behind. He yep. just needs to, yep. I don't know, just go all out, 
you yeah. know, to shoot 50 million under on a very boring course and, you know, win another 15 million bucks. Who's my little northern English mate with the long hair? <laughs> Tommy. Mm. I'd like yeah, to see, Tommy's there. I'd, I'd like to see Tommy no. do, do something. He won't win, but I'd like to see him play well. Anyway, the big tournament, the one that got you excited, the one that kept you up, the one uh, that featured an Aussie on the commentary team, my man uh, Ewan Porter. Uh, the US Amateur was played across a couple of Pine of the Pinehurst uh, fabulous yes. courses. Yes, yes. And uh, what year was the US Open played at Pinehurst last with the Wastelands on the side on Pinehurst number two? 2014. 2004. One by Martin Keimer. Martin Keimer, that's the one. One by, one by nine. It was controversial at the time when they played that because, you know, people were talking about it, but they were talking about it for reasons which they probably maybe now realise after listening to you that should be more representative of golf and tournament golf at the highest level on a more regular basis. You know, the Pinehurst that had wastelands and, and you know, poorly poorly placed drives were punished. Um, well, all they did is they brought the course back to the original design. You know, this is, you know, Corin Crenshaw, um, when they did the readers, well, we'll call it restoration, not a redesign, it was a restoration of Pinehurst was actually to bring it back to how it was when it was first designed by Donald Ross. The only reason it had rough and was really green is because, I don't know, maybe one of the Fazios or Trent Jones got in there and just said, well, let's make it green. Maybe because Augusta's really green. Augusta was never green, but it's green. Let's just grow lots of grass and rough. Mm. It's not how the course was designed. It was not how it was designed to play. So, you know, so they just brought it back to how it was. Gil Hans has done the same thing with, you know, Pinehurst number four. We saw the um, all those changes and how the US Open played because you go, there's no thick rough, no rough, zero rough. And you had the person, that, yes, it might have been boring because the dude won by nine, but he was. Out, the separation is because he was on top of his game for the whole week and he was a ball striker from tee to green and he just did enough with the putter because that's what Pinehurst is most silver courses it defines with if you are a, an, a top notch ball striker um, and you pl- have a good strategy you will you will play well at Pinehurst you can't just bomb and gouge there and of course will spit you out and, you know, that's what happened with a lot of players in that field. And then getting to see the amateurs play um, that event, it was just exciting to see, you know, getting so exciting to see the young crops. And the interesting thing is that because it's finest and it's so unpredictable, it threw up so many upsets yeah. because, you know, we talked about, you know, the equipment creating a whole different generation of players. So the players that are able to really golf their ball and actually have a bit of a strategy about them and, and can play shots, they actually shone through through the week. So a lot of the people that were the top seeds, they got knocked out, either didn't qualify in terms of you know, players that are in the top 10 to 15 in the world as an amateur, either didn't qualify or they got knocked out early. There were no top 
um, top seeds in the semi-finals. You know, and the the players that were in the top ten, they they got knocked out in the in the quarters and the round of sixteen. So there are all these other no names that um, that popped up, and you know we've obviously had um, young Carl yeah. um, contending there, and oh, I think he just had a really bad day. But just as an event, it was done awesome, and you've got, I have to give mad props to Fox. Because they, the one thing they do is they provide ad-free coverage. Except Fox still just throw an ad in when they can. Um, but Fox give ad-free coverage. They are getting really good at telling the story and letting the story unfold. They're not doing anything that's contrived. They're not over. They're not talking too much and trying to fill gaps in the broadcast. And I would say the two guys that even though they're not the the go-to guys or the, the name guys like Paul Azinger and Joe Buck for the US Open, but Shane Bacon and Brad Faxon, I actually think they're the heart and soul of any Fox broadcast because they're just, they work really well together. They're really knowledgeable in what they do and they really treat, they really treat a broadcast with respect, and Brad Faxon I think is underrated. Um, jury's still out for me on Paul Azinger. Um, Joe Buck gets a bad rap, but he also was broadcasting there. But purely the Fox broadcast for the women's amateur the other week, the same team doing the women's one down in Mississippi, and then the one for the US amateur this week. It's just it made everything. It was just it was just perfect. It's just perfect. So, what were the highlights for from the US Amateur? Few you, you've covered off a, a, a bit there. You know, the main one that you know it threw up a few um, roughies into the mix. You know, by having you know this great course that just un, unravelled a few people. Um, my man, the Irish boy that I put some maybe the kiss of death in hindsight dropped dropped the bundle very early on. Um, oh, he got hosed in the first round five yeah, and four. Yeah, thanks for telling me. <laughs> But uh, what do you know about the winner, Andy Ogletree? We've got another Ogle in the uh, the golfing world, mate, but the Ogletree. Senior at Georgia Tech. Um, he wears glasses. Probably first glasses winner for a while. Um, I don't know where he's ranked as, a, as an amateur at the world stage, but I think he's had a pretty pretty good um, college career. Um, and... This win gets him onto the Walker Cup team. Um, obviously, there's a lot of additional things that he gets with winning the US Amateur. He gets into the Masters, US Open, and also the British Open um, next year. So, you know, that's that's um, you know a really good thing that they can get. And then also, I think he also gets exemptions into. Other other PGA Tour events, um, you know, next year. So, and there was one interesting change the USGA made. Maybe we'll call it the Victor Hovland rule: is that if you win the US Amateur and you, you know, obviously have an exemption into the US Open, and that is essentially the last. I think it's the last of the exemptions. I don't know if you get the British anymore. I think you still get the British, but. 
if you decide to turn professional, you can still play the US Open as a professional on that exemption. So, you know, one of the challenges that Victor Hovland had is that for him to play the US Open, he had to stay an amateur, which meant that he missed out on um, any points and money and FedEx Cup points for to retain his tour card. So if he was able to, if this rule was in for this year, he would have been able to qualify for his PGA Tour card because it, it would have been seven events you, mm-hmm. you get as a sponsor's exemption. So because of all the changes of the PGA Tour, I think the USGA have seen um, how that's impacted Victor Hovland and they've changed the rules, which I, I'm actually, I think it's commendable. Yeah. So, makes, um, makes perfect sense. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so Andy Ogletree, you know, the other guy that um, he played in the final, John Augustine, um, young fella from Kentucky, um, both sort of seniors at college. He was just a really good ball shot. He, unfortunately, you know, he led for, I think it was nearly 30 holes in that final and he just had a bad five or six holes to finish and the, you know, kind of handed it to Andy Ogletree. And I'd watched the Ogletree matches. They were featured in, you know, the last sort of three or four days. And he's just really consistent. You know, there's nothing that stood out, you know, flashy-wise, but he was very much a key to green, methodical, and, you know, would have sent, you know, I think he just sort of just knew how to sort of grind out a, grind out victories. Um, um yeah, that's all I could talk about Andy in the final, but you know, I'm, I still think back to um, you know our Mount Carl. You know, he, <laughs> apparently he wore in the in the um, I think it was in the uh, the round of sixteen matches. He wore new shoes and he had this monster blister on the back of his heel. So maybe that had a a lot to do with um, how he played in the quarterfinals. Um, that the guy he was playing in the quarterfinals was, um, he was the epitome of um, backwater Texas. Um, William, oh, what was his name? <laughs> now, I think I said to you that he's probably the slowest player on the planet. Um, JB Holmes slow, he was ridiculous. He, he was Borderline, he was driving me nuts. And um, here we go. William Holcomb, the fifth. Oh, the geez. fifth. <laughs> and, um, you know, he's, uh, I think he's a senior at his college. He's already two years married. Um, loves duck hunting more than he loves golf. And he, I think he just played, I think, him getting to at least the quarterfinals, I think it was just more than his expectation. And he probably played like it and just played with no fear at the same time, played very slow. He was more twitchy than Keegan Bradley over most of his shots. He spent an eternity over every shot. It was ridiculous. So what was the commentary, um, what was the commentary like around uh, that match with uh, the slow play? Did, were they onto it? Oh, I think it was – I mean, it was – Definitely centered around Carl and um, his him wearing shoes and struggling with the blister, and he was just playing 
poorly. He was just playing poorly. He was, and and those few times that he had an opportunity to regain momentum, um, you know, hitting some really good shots on a hole to just you know had a eight footer for birdie, which normally he'd be stroking in, just never looked like making. He made no parts, so he just never was able to just sort of turn the tide of the of the match and try to sort of slowly grind back you know, some of the deficit, you know, so I think it was like on the 10th hole, so he's two down at the turn, he's on the 10th hole and he had like a 10 or 15 footer to win the hole, never looked like going in. And then, you know, a couple of holes later, he had another one similar to that and, you know, and never again, you know, so it was like he just was never able to just sort of start to chunk, you know, it started off really badly, but he was never able to just chunk into that lead and start to, you know, build up some confidence, sort of, you know, flush away some of the demons, you know, which you can do in match play. And then it got to the point where you just started to just really have to be really aggressive and, you know, to try and do something and make things happen and then it just got even worse. Mate, well, it was, still and, a, it was still a very commendable finish for him to get as high as he did. Probably, you know, we had hopes, but would we expect him to get up there? Yeah, I guess. Oh, maybe. look, as a talent, as a I was thinking the way he played from the middle part of his. So I don't know if anyone knows. So he was, he was. Um, I think he was like six over. Six, eight. Oh, what, did, what message did I send you? Here we go. I can't find it. Here we go. He was plus eight after 10 holes in the stroke play. Played his last 26 in minus six to qualify in you know, 22nd, I think it was. And then he just, as soon as he hit the match play rounds, he was just tearing through them. And then this match, I always thought it was going to be one of those, because I watched this guy, the, um, Holcomb, play the day before. And the guy he played, it was a very scrappy match, and it was not under par. I think it was like the match was nearly sort of under par. But he was one of those guys that was just really streaky, and I was watching how he was playing slow, and just it's just one of those things where he's just playing with zero expectation. And so I thought it was a bogey match. I'm thinking if Carl just gets through the quarterfinals, gets himself into the semifinals, because he would have been. Hold on, mate. One sec, mate. One sec. So he gets himself into the quarterfinals. Yeah, so he's in the quarterfinals, and he just needs to get through Holcomb. And I'm thinking, if he just gets through Holcomb, then he, you know, he's in the semi-finals. So all of a sudden, that's it's like you know, with these tournaments, it's like there's that one match where you just you're not you're not in touch. You just and you just got to find a way to just go. It's like I've just got to get through it and get through to the next stage. And I'm thinking, this is that this was that match where he just had to get through it. And so he would have been playing um, Augustine in the semis. And Augustine only won three and two over Holcomb because that, that semi-final match was was Augustine's... Um, that was his... You know, I just got to get through the, that match. It was quite scrappy. I think he was quite frustrated with, you know, the pace of play with Holcomb because um, they were nearly three holes behind um, the Ogletree 
um, trolley on match, which was ahead of them. So that's that's the pace of play it was. It was, it was quite it's quite painful. So I think he struggled with that as well. But he was able to eke out the win. But I, I still think that if Carl was in that semi final against Augustine, I reckon he would have been in a really good position to win that match, to make it to the final, and then you know you have the rough exemptions and the opportunity for Australian to. Um, take out the US Amateur again. So it was a bit of a missed opportunity, but again, yeah. you know, what? He's, he's only just turned 18. Yeah. Uh, I think he goes to Stanford next year, I think it is, because um, he's verbally committed there. And he's, 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 got, he's yeah. got many, many, many years of... Um, at least another few years of competing at this level to, you know, have another swing at it. So I think it's this is the first time for him he's, like, believing that he sort of belongs yeah. at this level because most of the guys he's competing against are, you know, 22, 23 guys that have already been grinding away in college events for a very long time and, um, you know, he's still just a wonder kid. But at the same time, the same kid that won the... the um, uh, I think it was the Southeastern Amateur as a 15-year-old which was the youngest since Bobby Jones in like 1916 or something. So, yeah, kudos. He's got some game. He's got some game. There were a few other Aussies that made the uh, the final um, stage there. Our club member, Dave Michalusi, didn't make it through. But uh, Blake Windred, I think, was the other one that finished up there. Yeah, so I think he made it into the 32, so he won Three and one in the round of sixty-four. Yeah. Just find out. Um, Jake Trent won four and three in the sixty-four. I'll go to the round of thirty-two. Um, so Jake lost to Matt Fitzpatrick's brother. Right. Um, on the twenty-first, I'll say. A close one there, and where is always? Oh, maybe I got that wrong with the other one. Yeah, so that then then it left. Carl was the only one, only one left. Oh, here we go. No, sorry, um, Blake Windred. Sorry, he lost. In, I misread that. He lost in the round of sixty-four. Still a fantastic effort to make it. Yeah. Um. So. Mm. But yeah, overall, so great, 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 um, great tournament proves that uh, put it on, you know, quality golf courses and it evens up the field and 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 takes away some of that, I guess, uh, technology pain that we were sort of lamenting on previously, and um, just get it on on hard and firm firm courses, uh, America. Just just do that. That's it. There's plenty. You got That's plenty it. enough courses to do it, and you know, let's not go on about. It, but the play, I think the players would prefer that. They all talk about the love of playing on firm courses, and uh, anyway, let's. We're not going to change the rocket, but if most of us that do this uh, jump on, and you know, Andy Johnson, you know that that chat before about Andy Johnson from the Fried Egg, you know his his mates. In his chat group, not watching 
the event at the, the BMW. BMW in their backyard. In their backyard, in where Chicago, they live. Chicago, the Chicago the sh- natives, they're casual golf fans. They're not and there. for the whole week, they never, that one, they weren't there and they never talked about the event for the whole week. They just want to watch the US Amateur, the real mm-hmm. quality, real golf. Anyway, so what else has happened out there, mate? Uh, you mentioned, uh, has Phil been back, uh, broken his... Um, Twitter silence, like yourself, like your good self. I did notice that you were back on Twitter t- uh, today, mate. Is that okay? Is everything no. all right? Oh, I just sent a couple of things. Uh, I, I, I caved in. But <laughs> back to Phil. Phil. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so Scott, so Scott Stallings, obviously, with the, you know, he's already starting to prepare the off-season and he was um, doing some exercises and, you know, doing some calf exercises and some other stuff. And he's like, you know, you know, I, you know, are you impressed, Phil? And Phil's replied, that's cute. <laughs> so so <laughs> Scott Stallings might have Phil Mickelson, you know, nine out of ten times for carbs, but Phil Mickelson has Scott Stallings nine out of ten times for Twitter. <laughs> he's, a, he's a social media savant. And think about all the things. He, he's only just found social media. He is from... as as all the PGA Tour pros, he knows how to use it, how it's meant to be. How it's meant to be, he's just phenomenal. And just you just can't beat Phil. He's just he's just a gem. And it's a shame that, you know, he's he's coming to the tail end of his career in terms of, you know, just is it you know, the best of Phil as well as long gone. But if we can eke out a few more years of Phil just being Phil even on the PGA Tour into his early 50s before he maybe hits the Champions Tour. And I don't, don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know if I could watch the Champions Tour with Phil on there. It's just not the same. But if he just keeps creating content like this, oh, the world is going to be much better place for him. Much better place. What happened with his tea time that he nearly missed? I don't know about that one. How's this for crazy? My hotel was struck by lightning. I was on the top floor. We were evacuated and the place is on fire. Only think of mine on fire this week. I can't go back into my room and may miss my tea time because I'm without clubs. I'm pretty sure that he nearly actually did miss his tea time. And like he basically, you know, just ran to the tea and, you know, was lucky to get his golf shoes on. I'm That's pretty funny. Sure, I'm pretty sure that happened. Um, That's funny. Well, talking about calves like Adonis. I've got to give a shout out to my man Oliver Yawn from Fit Golf Australia. So I caught up with Ollie today. And um, I had a little bit of a TPI assessment, so I did rock it. Recently turned another year older, and um, I just thought that I would check out Ollie's work and waiting for him to uh, tell me what I should do. I've got some issues, Rocket, that's born about by me seeing my golf swing on video. And I thought I might get uh, this movement checked out. So I'm going to be doing some some work with Ollie and I hope to be able to share some of that and also share a little bit about what Ollie does and what TPI assessments are all about and um, you know bit what, of body movement plyometrics well uh, mate I, I, I have a fair understanding of what my body's doing and, and what the deficiencies are in, in movement and how it affects my golf swing but I have zero idea of how to fix it and I guess um, body's know, an amazing thing we only have to look at Bryson we have no idea what goes on in that head. <laughs> Supposed to be the smartest cat in, on the universe. 
He's no. as dumb as a box of rocks sometimes. No, well, Ollie, so, do, Ollie doesn't deal in yellow helmets. He just deals in um, physical movement <laughs> and... <laughs> And I need to physically move better. So Ollie's going to help me. And if there's some stuff that I can generate out of that that we can share and, you know, bring to the younger and the older people that uh, that listen. But anyway, that was good. Um, I've already got calves like Adonis uh, Rocket. I don't need to. You know, I, I would I would take Phil down in a calve off. i put my money on that right now. I, I would match Phil's thousand wedge that he just pulls, drops loosely out of his back pocket. And I would uh, I would double down on that to say that I've got better calves than Phil. Uh, I don't know, I don't my, know where that came from. I've got calves like a, like a gorilla, and that's probably because I've just got really hairy legs. So, <laughs> so um, anyway, that was uh, Ollie Orn. I'm going to, I'm going to take, keep working with Ollie and, and maybe uh, share some of that. Anything else? Um, did I mention that I'm going to Scotland in a couple of weeks? Oh, I think I did several times. <laughs> I uh, think every week. Yeah, no, what? really. No. <laughs> I think you've been talking about it since the US Open. Mm. Mm. <laughs> well, it might actually suggest that I haven't had a holiday in a while or a break, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Rocket, excited. I am excited. I don't. You know what? Well it, earned. It's, well earned. It's interesting. You know, I'm I'm the pragmatist and whatever else you want to call it. I don't know if that's the right word to say, but I just deal with things when they're there, and and holidays for me, um, you know, I don't usually exert a lot of thought around them until the night before when I have to pack and make sure that, you know, I know where to go, um, which I didn't do successfully the last time I held a holiday and I missed, we missed the flight, but that's another story. Um, so I'm pretty excited about it and there's some good stuff happening. So you may have seen the Scottish Senior Open at Craigie Law Golf Club um, last weekend. Chucky fat, no Chucky. Idea. All I'm thinking, all I know is when you talk about your trip, I think of there's two words, North Berwick. Yes, well, that is that is pretty much confirmed. That, that is confirmed. I've got a game at North Berwick with a member, and uh, and I can't wait to share that. But well, Craig, well, that's going to be a little bit different to the game that I'm playing uh, next week at TPC Vegas. Oh, nice. Oh. Hello, right I'll back, right back, at, right back at you, Scotland with a TPC Las Vegas double down. Beautiful. I'll, I'll, I'll swap you. No, no, that's great. Well, so, are you going? On, this is business. We going business trip? Yeah, a bit of work, and we have to venture our way into what I refer to as the toilet of the world, which is Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, I'll be jetting off on the weekend, away for a week, bit of work stuff. Secret squirrel business. When do you go away? Sunday. Oh. What are we going to do next week then? Oh, no. No more uh, Roscoe and Rocket for, for a few weeks. Mm, oh, well. Never know. There might be a corresponding time zone. I'm sure. Thingy or something. If there's a will, there's a way, Rocket. But oh, that sounds good. Any other golf while you're in uh, the United States? No, I've just got some, we had some free time and it's about 15 of us and we're just playing a little bit of a, bit of a comp, um, just at TPC Vegas, so a bit of, you know, it's all nice, like a bit of hit and giggle, uh-huh. um, just to kill some time, so it'd be just good fun, and that's about it, not taking my club, so I'm hiring. Uh, Tim Wise, who was a 
podcast guest uh, goes back to about maybe episode six or seven. Young pro, now the representative for Cobra Puma Golf um, in Melbourne. In Tim Victoria. Wise used to be in the Australian Institute of Sport many yeah. years ago, Tim Wise. Yes, that's Tim. That's Tim, friend of the podcast. I, uh, I know Tim Wise because Tim Wise and I were paired together for the final 36 holes of the 1996-7, Tasmanian Open. Um, we were both inside the top 10. That was ultimately won by Cameron Percy. Wow. And I putted like a muppet for basically the whole day. And I very distinctly remember, I think it was we're on about the 14th hole Tasmania Golf Club. I had like an eight-footer for birdie, and it basically just lipped out. And Tim looked at me and he goes, well, blow me. He said, you have not made a thing all day. <laughs> he said, you can't buy a putt. Oh dear, thanks for And I just looked at him and said, yep. And he goes, I don't know how you haven't broken your putter. And I said, trust me, I have thought about it. Well, there you go. Well, once again, you always deliver something to me or the listeners and hopefully sometimes both. But today you've delivered to me and, that you know Timmy was. on Watts. top of that, our playing partner yes. was Anthony Toogood, son of Peter. All right. Legends. It was Legends a great day. Legends. And we, were, we had Jeff, who was in the group behind us? Jeff Ogilvy. He was hitting it all over the place. I think he still shot six under in one round. We're like, how did he shoot six under? We saw him in trees most of the day. That's go. when I looked at Tim and I said, he's going places because I don't know how he shot six under because that was ridiculous. He was all over the place. So big rocket f- top ten. P10 in the uh, last, going into the last round of the Tassie Open. There you go. Um, quality, quality, quality. So, Timmy, I uh, anyway. Leading, I was leading. I was leading midway through the second round. It was hissing down with rain. Mm-hmm. I was four under through 10. I eagled the first hole because I played the back nine first. Mm. And I then... Bogey the second, birdie the third, so still back at four under. Uh, eked my way through to this, so I got through to the six. I had four holes to play. Bogeyed all four. Hmm. Sounds Middle familiar. of the fairway and all of them, and I just, I don't know what happened. Oh dear. I don't know what happened. And then, um, so I think I, so I was, even for the tournament, I was six back of Bads. So Bads was leading at six. Um, and I think I was in seventh place. And the last day, I think I just shot um, 73, 72, even par. Didn't make a thing. I think for the week, I was hitting, I was averaging like 15 greens per round and shot two over. On my home deck, I knew those greens inside out. I couldn't make a thing. Great experience. Make a thing, Roscoe. Great experience for the young fellow, but from Tasmania. Was it not? Playing with the big boys. Jeff Ogilvy, Cam Percy, Timmy Wise, South Australian Open winner. Wow. Yeah. What, a, what an experience. It's, it's good fun, yeah. And uh, who else I could rattle off to you? Brad Lamb, Brad Jones. Good player. Good player. Wow. Um, well, the reason why I talked about Timmy Wise is, and you talked about Las Vegas, Timmy today was lucky enough to play at the Summit Club, 
which is just <gasps> that, which is just that side of Las Vegas looks pretty good. Oh my goodness! Mm. Mm. T- Timmy's Special. over. Timmy's over there for some work and uh, maybe a little touch of poker, which I think is one of his uh, passions. But um, yeah, he played today at the Summit Club, which is in Las Vegas. Anyway, back to me and Scotland. Did I say <laughs> that I'm going? So I'm, I'm about to. Um, I'll be basing my golf at Craigie Law, which was the home of uh, last weekend's Scottish Senior Open. It looked in fantastic condition. Craigie Law is the course that's next to Kilspindy and the next along from Long Nidri and the next along from Gullen. I've got a, hopefully a round lined up with a young lady from the LET Access Tour, which is very, very, very good. And um, what else have I got? I've got North Berwick lined up. Gifford. I'm, gonna, I'm going to play a couple of lesser knowns and I think they'll surprise you with their quality rocket. I'm going to blast the uh, Twitter sphere full of pictures from some of these lesser knowns because I want to prove that, you know, as much as I can, that Scotland isn't all about the big courses. It isn't isn't just about the Royal Aberdeens and the St Andrews and the North Berwicks and the Carnoustie's and the Glen Eagles and the, you know, Trump uh, Trump Turnbury's and whatever. There is, the, you could have a year in Scotland and not play all the good quality golf. So there's a couple of lesser knowns that I'll bring you and I'll prove that uh, that they're worth the trip and uh, let's talk about that. But anyway, Craigie Law, I'll be based myself there. I might even join as an international member. Unbelievable. It's that affordable. It's it, it's more affordable for me to join that place as an international member and play my rounds of golf while I'm there and then get their half price reciprocal fees than it is just to go as a, as a guest, uh, than it is to go as a, as a walk up player. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm pretty sure. Anyway, I've got a few days to decide on that. So it all sounds good. Looking forward to it. Rocket, I think we've, uh, rabbited, rabbited and blew that on for, uh, long enough. What do you think? Well, guys, hopefully the listeners have got, um, plenty out of this week. Uh, it's coming to the tail end of another fantastic season of 2019. There's a little bit of content here and there. Bryson's probably going to continue to deliver next week. Um, you know, we've got the net, you know, the net club championships. So see who's going to, you know, win the big bucks. You know, we've reminisced a little bit, which I never thought I'd do. But you know, I've got plenty of stories of guys that have turned professional. I've got Stuart Appleby stories. I've got Ogilvy stories. I've got Cam Percy stories. Um, Matty Goggin stories. I've got them all. So, you know, when they, when they, uh, the opportunity comes up, I'm quite literally just like a pop-up sprinkler, pop up and spurt out and just spray information into the ether. And if anyone enjoys it, fantastic. If they don't, just well, subscribe anyway. Well, there's a, there's a new series that we can, uh, once we come back from our, both of our trips, we can, you know, launch into this story time with Rocket. <laughs> oh dear! Uh, it must be. We'll it. call it. I need to come up with a name for that segment. Golfers lament the can, career that never was. If we could get the triplets around and get a little photo of you telling these stories to them, that'd be a great photo to put. <laughs> I've got a fire. I've got a wood fire too. So yeah, get them all around the fire. Bring your smoking jacket out. Get the triplets down there. 
the storybook <laughs> and talking about your get time. The whiskey, that, get the whiskey in the one hand. You yes. know, back in my day, Jack, Nichol- Jack my Nicholson, day. Jack Nicholson, Jack Nicholson starts. And you're talking about, uh, you know, you Robert, Robert. You got a Robert Allenby story. Everyone's got a Robert Allenby story. Oh, who doesn't have a Robert Allenby oh, story? There you go. Um, I. Oh, actually, no, I probably can't repeat that one. No, I don't. No, 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 we won't, that do, we won't do any of that. That one, was, that one was told in confidence because I have a friend of mine who was a, who's a, who's a, his best mate is the uh, is the caddy that threw down the bag and basically just told Robert to um, go forth and multiply mid-round Canadian we, Open. We haven't, well, you might have given that person away, but I was just about to say you haven't given anyone away because I think there's been about four or five guys in that category. <laughs> Oh, he's a caddy killer. Yeah, he's a caddy killer. If I know, if I know, if I know Robert, one of Robert Allenby's killed caddies, and you know one of them, there must be there must be plenty anyway. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Hey, mate, um, appreciate that. Thanks for your feedback. American golf, firm up the courses. Think about rolling back the balls. Probably not going to happen. Think about making everyone use a mini driver. Probably not going to happen. But anyway, if uh, enough people talk about it. Someone might listen. Thanks, Rock. Thanks, Rocket. Thanks, Roscoe. Have a good night. Bye.